on maynard.com.au. AU! Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, I love talking to DJs that have been in the business for a long time, particularly in Sydney, that have seen things come and go and come and go and people come and go. And one of the guys I'm with has been in the industry for about 36 years now, DJ Paul Holden. How are you? Oh, good afternoon, Maynard. I'm absolutely tops at the moment. Now, where would people know you from? I, of course, think of the Bacchanalia parties automatically, but you've just played everywhere, really? Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have played at some point, at some time, virtually every club in Sydney at the the height of its career, Jamison Street, the famous Jamison Street with the Tuesday night Berlin club that used to get 1,400 people on a Tuesday night, to Dance Interior at Cremorne every Wednesday, we used to get five or 600 there, then I set up Stun, a rave club night at Neo Ferro in the city, we used to get 500 on a Wednesday there. Neo Ferro, that was short-lived but very Short. exotic, wasn't it? Was, it was, it was a $12 million investment, which yeah. at that time had never been seen in yeah. Sydney and in a small space, so they went to town on that place. It had a great sound and it was a really good little room to play in and I set up Stun and, and literally for five years every Wednesday we got 500 people. You couldn't get that now. The Mad Club would get 700 on a Monday. Go anywhere on a Monday now because the Soho itself is actually shut. Couldn't even keep going. All of the good clubs have gone. All mm. of the, Jamison Street was a wonderful room. Um, it used to be a tram repair shed yeah. and they used to have this a girder that rolled across the ceiling and picked up the tram and lowered them over working bays and when they turned it into a nightclub they used that as a way to rig the lighting and the lighting would move along and up and down on this rigging that normally picked up the trams. Paul Holden, I like to think that because we're older guys that somewhere else in Sydney there's a wild time going on that we aren't part of because we're not as young as the people that are doing that now and that people are doing what we were up to then somewhere else but sometimes I'm not so sure. I think you're actually right on that assumption. I do not think that partying is going on like the way we were spoilt enough to enjoy. Do you think it's moved to private homes or smaller boutique sort of things? It's fractured. It's like the bullet that goes through and breaks into a million pieces. You've got people who are underground in their house smoking ice pipes, not needing to socialise because there's a party in their head. You've got the few people that do seem to go to clubs, but they're bound with all of these restrictions about the lockout laws and the bar closing and the no drinks after 1.30. And I think that would be a big downer because to me going out something that you do after midnight and investment. There's no one investing in good spaces in Sydney. There's lots and lots and lots of these new little bars because of the loosening of the bar laws so that people could set up little cocktail bars that hold 14. But as for spending $12 million on a nightclub space, it's a big turn-off to any potential investee because the laws are so restrictive. After the one-punch deaths of a couple of people, as we discussed earlier, it's been a blanket punishment. Everyone's being punished from the people who invest and want to invest in venues to the simple punter that wants to go out and enjoy dancing. I'm speaking to you because I wanted to get a bit of your history and there are a number of DJs on my history list. We've spoken to Tim Ritchie before. We've spoken to Mark Dynamics of course for Jack the House 1 and you played Jack the House 1 and Jack the House 2 is coming up. It's going to be a great time and I really enjoyed your set. It was kind of a greatest hits of house. You wouldn't have played all those songs in a go at the time. 
time because they would have been old songs at the time. They would not have all been current at the same time. But now looking back, you can play the best of the decade. In a way, Jack the House is a kind of best of. We don't really have the room to be playing the third rate tracks. <laughs> we, we... Wes, Wes, do the right thing. Redhead Kingpin, do the right thing, not a black and white thing. MCLL eBay, who's Mark Dynamics's other moniker, he starts off the night and it's in that early set. So for you punters that want to hear Redhead Kingpin do the right thing, you get there early, 10.30 to 12.30, because that's when MCLL eBay is spinning those slower, but nonetheless still groovy tunes that come from that era that we're highlighting. Yeah, what are those years you are highlighting, by the way? Very specific four or five years 1988 to 1992 it was an incredibly productive time there was music coming out of its rear end literally it was just flying Mm. out and it was the birth of the hip house genre that was the mergings of rapping with really good beat loops a lot of things taken off james brown records and sampled beat loops from his tracks and reworked into sampling machines became affordable so that the average bedroom producer could start to use these loops and build up a great percussive background and then you just needed a rapper and then maybe a catchy chorus what would be an example of a track like that moni love maybe oh yeah like moni love she did a couple of good tracks there as a DJ, would you have your records all lined up 12 inches usually, occasionally a 7 inch if you couldn't get anything else, because sometimes a 7 inch was all you could get. Will you have them lined up in the BPM speed like most of them? I, I did. I had them loosely grouped in the BPMs. Wh- which was what back in the day? Back in back 1990, what was your speed you'd be back playing? Back in the day was from 116. up to about 136. And to give a punter an example of how to get an idea of what that tempo is, if you went to a rave, you were listening to music 160 to 180 BPM. Not 116 to 130, but 160 to 180. Was that then or now? That was then. Wow. When the rave period, which came after the hip house period. Now music has gone back down to a more reasonable, thank God, tempo. I I, I remember the first time I was at a hippie and a funky dread, that track. That just seemed like a million miles an hour, and now it wouldn't seem out of place tempo-wise. no. When I go to set up a track, a playlist for a party like Jack the House, it's quite shocking actually how slow the tempos are that we're working with. Thank God Mark takes care of the really slow part early in the night. On the radio in those days, I always liked things a little bit faster and if I could get a Technish 1200, I'd always give it a notch, plus one or plus two to play, just that little bit faster on the radio. We are on beautiful deck. over. What are we overlooking here on the roof? We're overlooking Middle Harbour and we can see Manly in the distance there and every now and then you'll 
see the Manly Ferry chug-a-lugging along there. And it's a beautiful day. Now, you've lived here all your life. You haven't had any rooftop parties here? I've had a few, but <laughs> because my father lives here as well, not too tolerant of the music. Fair. Can't stand anything that has a, a repetitive kick. So as you know, all dance music has bang, 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 yeah, bang. That, that tends to be the feature that, of it. That, that is the thing that drives my father insane. <laughs> and so consequently, unless he's out, I don't get away with playing my music. So do you and your dad meet anywhere musically, David Essex or Frank Sinatra? I will blame my father for my music career. <laughs> I grew up in a house where he was always playing music. His music of choice was jazz, mm. but the point being that he got me into music and we had a record shop up the top of the street and I'd go up there once a week and sort of see what had come in in the 12-inch section and I'd listen to dance records and I'd buy them and this is all before I had no intention or no plans to become a DJ, but I was buying for my collection. I was collecting and enjoying and loving new music as it came out and that was a very productive period. 76, 77, I was going up to the shop and buying records and they were starting to release 12-inch mixes. Do you remember the first 12-inch you got or your first one where you went, wow, this is I, this is not like what I hear on the radio? Yeah, the first 12-inch I bought it was actually two on the same day. It was Nutbush City Limits, hey. Ike and Tina Turner, and Sylvester. You Make Me Feel Mighty Real? Yeah, You Make Me Feel Mighty Real. Now, that is a track that would have been very fast for the time. One thirty-six. So that was the, that was at the top end of the BPM scale for mm. a dance party. And in the intro, even on the seven-inch, it kind of takes off in speed as it starts it, up. It yeah. does. Yes, mm. it's got a ramping up, yeah. ramping up effect. Well, how do you feel about? using laptops and DJs that don't actually use turntables. We've got Serato, we've got many different ways to interface with the music now. How do you feel about that? Okay, me, personally, I'm very anti it. I think it's amazing that they've set up this technology where you can go to files on your laptop and using the Serato discs, you can, just like working with vinyl, beat match the digital file and not have to carry, because records are really heavy. People don't realise and appreciate. One record crate of records. There's a reason why a lot of partners of DJs were solid people. Yes, because they'd <laughs> get asked to help carry the record. Just look at Kate Moss. She's not taking any records anywhere, of no, people. No. no. I spent about 15 years of my career touring nationally got very successful during the hard house genre phase and that was what I played around the country and I'd play in every city plus country towns on a regular basis sort of three out of four weekends of the month I'd play into state. Give us an example of a hard house track just so people might know what would be something in that genre. Twisted by Wayne G. Let's get twisted. Let's get twisted. 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 Hard House was quite an underground genre in that it wasn't like many, in a way, standout tracks that if I said it, people would know them. But hopefully people know Twisted. What have happened to Speed Garage as a genre? That was a good 10 minutes. Be 
Yeah, it was about 10 minutes. It, it didn't even reach the 15-minute fame mark. What I was mentioning with the touring, that I had to be very, very efficient with my record selection for the job at hand because records were so heavy that to carry a small flight case interstate was to lug 28 to 32 kilos of records. That was backbreaking. I ended up investing $700 in a custom-made box that had a pull-out handle and wheels, a bit like the Woolworths trolleys that you could get, the little plastic shopping trolleys that are on wheels now. And I invested in this flight case because I just got tired of hurting my back carrying the records so I could pull the records along on wheels. You really need those wheels on those records. But DJ's getting older. Have we seen the advent of a DJ on a mobility scooter with his decks and everything built into the one? So he just drives into the nightclub, just plugs it into the, and he's away? Not yet, but I will probably... Bring your own DJ box with you. I'll probably be the first you'll see. (laughs) I have to admit that despite admiring the technology, I think it's really, really sad that DJs can just take a laptop and just select the files and it's all done and it's digital. To me, it's soulless when you hear the mix it's so perfect that it's clinical it's clinical and sterile so the technology is amazing i don't understand it i don't want to understand it i only want to work with vinyl i openly admit that i cannot beat mix and with what i do i don't want to anyway i'm that unusual thing and i'm a dj that likes to talk but that was definitely something that wasn't going on a lot between 88 and 92 you'd have mcs that would talk but the dj wouldn't normally talk over the records no <laughs> but of course i have many memories of seeing you perform and yours was... Yeah, but was, people weren't coming along for the smooth mixing. No, they weren't, but <laughs> yours was a performance with a capital P. You brought your personality to the decks. I remember you playing your little seven inches and, <laughs> and how you sort of just threw it together nonchalant. It just suited you the way you did that. There was no one like you. You were the only one who could get away with starting a set in the booth and getting up there and not intending to mix, but everyone accepted that with you mm. because you were the one who was going to pull out YMCA. And no one else really wanted to start a fire on the dance floor with lighter fluid. You'd be arrested under terrorism laws if you did that now. You could get away with your set because you were known for the way you performed and then every other DJ had to be at least trying their damn best to mix properly because the other sets were DJ sets. Mm. Serious, serious sets. In fact, I had a bit of a flashback when I was at Jack the House, the first one there, and I went up and and you were sitting there and there there was John Ferris and everything. All all the DJs that were on there were sitting back there on the couches. And a bit of a flashback of there's that DJ before you go on thing where you're watching another DJ and everyone's going, oh, yeah. You're a bit nervous about your own set, but you're also a bit, you don't want the guy before you to be too good, that sort of thing, you know? Yeah, flashback. So some things don't change. I know that if I turn up, the first thing I want to hear, is the DJ able to pull off a good mix? Meaning, has the technology been invested into the DJ booth such that there's good monitoring and that I've got 36 year old ears, meaning, you know, they've been quite used and abused. Yeah, so they smashed, have you lost? Normally in the F and the S of speech is where DJs tend to lose yeah, it. Yeah, I've lost my top top frequencies. You've got so, tinnitus? And I've got tinnitus, so I've got permanent ringing in the ears, and I've got hyperacusis, which is mm. sensitivity to a certain frequency range. So in that breaking glass mm. type of range, upper mid highs, I have a terrible sensitivity. So if there's a little baby next to me and that squeals, it actually causes me physical pain. Mm. So hyperacusis is almost worse than the tinnitus, because mm-hmm. you kind of get conditioned to the tinnitus. Yeah. You get conditioned 
to just the ringing all the time. But if I come home from a loud gig, like example, in November I saw ACDC, it was the single loudest concert I've ever been to. But that night, boy, I could not sleep because my ears were ringing wow. so loud. You would have gone to the Kiss concert too, wouldn't you? And I did go to the Kiss, and that would have been about my 14th Kiss concert. What an opener those guys do. Oh, mate, they know how to perform. I'm a big Kiss fan. I saw your signed Ace Freely photo down there. I got to meet Kiss backstage in Adelaide. Got a really good photo of me with them. Very, very proud of that. Paul, let's talk a bit more about 88 to 92, which you're going to be highlighting at Jack the House 2. Coming up at the Sly Fox, a good venue. Great sound system, which is crucial to me. It's absolutely crucial that we've got a good sound so we can convey the music. You want to convey it. You want people to feel the bass notes and hear the percussion. You want that. It's a shame that the Sly Fox doesn't have a little patio, courtyard, Mm. something out the back. Which the shift has been able to do. And that's a venue you would have gone to a few times over the years, the midnight shift in Oxford Street. Hasn't it changed? I was, a, I was a resident there for about three years. I used to do, I think, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. And again, they'd get four, five, six hundred people. But again, you can't do that now. You just yeah. wouldn't get it. With Jack the House, we're booked in there for the next year. I'm really keen to see next week if we grow. Now, we had 700 Facebook followers for the first party. We've now got three and a half thousand. I would really like to think that a third or a quarter of those people are going to come. If that's the case, we will be a full house sold out. I don't know what to wear this time because last time I went with the completely the Doc Martens. I didn't have the 501s because they make your ass look big on everybody. I just had the regular black jeans, but I had the Rat Party t-shirt and I had the Mambo reversible jacket with the Mambo fluoro cap. I don't know what to wear this time. It's like I've shot the bolt on all the 1988 stuff there. You got any suggestions? Put it this way, I ordered from Italy a, a, a tracksuit set. Hey. Um, so <laughs> I'm actually dressing up this time. Got the costume going on there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Is it velour? It's satin. Ooh. You haven't got a moniker on the back or something, so, you know. No, I don't, but I'll be announcing on the night my uh, MC name. What was your favourite track you played last time at Jack the House? The track I opened with, which is not classic hip house, Black is Black yeah. by the Jungle, Jungle Brothers. Oh, black is black is black is black. Yeah. Oh, mate. And then also uh, another one I really like is Mr. Lee, and I played Let's Get Busy. To me, that's a nice snappy track. It's got a nice, tight, snappy percussion. And with all the hits run together like you were doing there on your set, it's amazing how many conga solos there were. There was a few conga solos that could be mixed together and a few Ben Liebrand remixes that even had conga solos in the remix. He was a mixer du jour. You know, he was being used quite a lot at the time and he was not afraid to go to the percussion part of the drum machine and fire up congas one, two, three, four. Now this is how it started. My dreams are broken hearted. I love percussion. I find that when you take away the framework, which is the beat and the snare, and maybe beat, snare, hand clap, and a hi-hat, when you then fill that gap in the mid-range, you fill it with conga runs or tom runs, 
you beefify the track, mm. puts a bee meatiness. You know, you, a few times at the opera bar, I've seen DJs working with percussionists. Back in the day, that occasional percussionist to do some stuff with you. I mean, Guru Josh was known for doing that in the UK a bit. I Only as you say it, I think back and think, oh, my God, that's something that I didn't do. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. I would always take my trombone along, but that was not always something that you would want. No, no, no. <laughs> but thank you for giving me the idea. Yeah, I think Jack the House 3, I think I'll sort out a conga player for oh, a... Yeah. Try and paint us a bit of a picture. Have a song in mind, maybe a moment or a song from Bacchanalia that is burned in your memory of being in that DJ box, hearing this particular track and what you saw. Just Keep Rockin' by Double Trouble. Again, another really meaty, meaty track because it's got the percussion and just the way that just pumps and grinds and grooves. It's like a hissing, chunky steam locomotive. It just has that visceral power to it. And someone who's played gay, straight, queer audiences all over the place, how do you know, wow, they're really getting into this? Is it something you can hear or you can see the way they're moving? I, I, how do you feel it? I call it reading the crowd and it's looking out and seeing how they're going. I then turn around and flick through my record boxes and pick accordingly. People ask me, do you pre-work out a set? No, I don't. I listen to records at home and think, I just pop them on for 20 seconds as I'm sorting and packing my crate, see how they're going, and it makes it very clear. I'll turn around to my record box and I'll immediately know what tracks not to play and I'll skip them and I'll find a track that's the one that should go next. That's the voice of Paul Holden, and you've done a mix for this Saturday night at Jack the House 2. Okay. Get along to the Facebook page, people. Keep an eye on it. If you don't actually go to one, you can't expect there to be another one. No. So get along to it. No. For the people that are there early, they might be able to purchase at a very reasonable well, price the mixing you've done. Well, even better, if you're one of the first 50 ticket purchasers, you get a free copy, and it's autographed by me. It's a free copy autograph. For those people who don't make the boat with the first 50, it will be available at the party on the night for $10 and again it's a great CD I'm very proud of it and it is basically like a greatest hits of hip house so if you don't own any hip house having this CD will give you a great little slab of tracks if you go to YouTube you'll see Maynard Horton Pavilion special part one there and you're looking at yourself back the last time I interviewed you in probably 1989 yeah. what emotions does that stir up seeing yourself back then the major events the Mardi Gras and the Seas Ball which we used to spend six months of the you're looking forward to. I mean, I remember like walking out of a season and thinking, six months, the next party. Now, most kids of the party season that's on now would couldn't believe that they, they're used to a party every weekend. The emotions was how fresh-faced I looked. I wish that you could just turn a dial and yeah. bring back the fresh, tight skin that was on my face and the youthful vigour that seems to be coming off my face. Youthful exuberance is the term yeah, I would use yeah. for you in that, Paul. Yeah. And playing music keeps me, I think, youthful. DJ Paul Holden, it's an interview I've wanted to have for many years and thank you for filling in a lot of the information on a lot of the bits that we wanted to know about. Get along to Jack the House too. Where can people find you online? I've sort of shied away from the, having a Facebook page or a Twitter account and constantly filling up the world with yet more drivel. I feel I don't need to do that. People can find me online. Like For instance, if you want music of mine, you go to the Sydney Rave History page and they have a library of many many recorded more recordings than i've got of myself you can click on them download them as a podcast to pop on your ipod have a listen to the mix they cover all the cds and tapes i've released plus they've got recordings of me at 
different dance parties, raves, Mardi Gras, things like that, and you can hear my journey through music on those collections. And I'll put a link in that to the show notes as well. Thank you very much. Let's just take ourselves back to the Bacchanalia when you were playing that track and you were looking out and you were seeing the house groove. There was something special about that time. It was a coming out party, coming to the Horden and experiencing in that vast room with the the acoustics that it set up for the sound system and the sound pumping through that big room and four to 6,000 people really getting down, really getting into it. There wasn't Mr. Policeman telling us what we could and couldn't do. We were just partying. It was magic at that time. And that's not just to to be like the old fuddy-duddy who says, oh, back in my day. But it is true that for 1988 to 92 at the Horton, it was four years of pure bliss. It was. Maynard.com.au Hey you! Yeah. 